because today is kind of connected to last Sunday. Last Sunday, what I did, let me tell you my structure for the sermon. My structure was how bad it was in the Bible and how bad it is today. That was kind of my message. And uh, last week, I'll be honest with you, it was hard to preach because, I mean, I, I said some really hard things last week. You can go listen to that, but I said some, I just talked about the evil in our hearts and the brokenness that's in us as humanity. I mean, we're messed up. And that's all you got to do is go listen to last week's message where I'm painting, you know, in my lifetime alone, there's been 13 genocides that have taken place. I mean, you can Wikipedia that. It's just messed up stuff after messed up stuff. All of that, now today is like the same message almost, but it's what did God then do because of all that bad stuff? How did he react? What, what did God do about that then? And then what did he do about it today? That's kind of the message. Does that make sense? Two people are shaking their heads, so that's great. <laughs> let's read. Let's read a section of Exodus. And then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to show you a couple pictures, okay? Exodus chapter 25 says this. I hope I don't lose the person in here who maybe doesn't know their Bible's the best. I'm not going to preach this specific text necessarily. I'm preaching the Pentateuch. I'm kind of preaching the whole first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But I'm using these eight verses today to kind of get at what I'm after, okay? So here it is. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linens, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing, oil and, and uh, for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Okay, what is he doing here? He's getting a collection to take place. This is the people of God are in the wilderness. God is speaking that he wants a tabernacle to be made, a tent, okay? Now this next verse is very key. And let them make me a sanctuary. This is the tabernacle or tent. Let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all of its furniture, so shall you make it. He wants them to make a tent to set up in the middle of their community so that he can come and dwell in their midst. Let me pray, and then we're going to get into this. Lord, come and speak to us in these next 20-some minutes. We pray that you're going to do that. We trust in your Spirit's work and activity. You've, you've already drawn near to Spence, 
And James, you've drawn near to us as we're gathered in your name. You draw near to us as we sing and proclaim you to be holy and our God. You draw near as you declare over us we're forgiven. We pray that you'd come and draw near to us and speak to our hearts now. Please help me, God, to simply say what needs to be said. Not a word more, not a word less. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, last week, we talked about all these terrible things. As I was thinking about things that if I saw it, I would be repulsed by it. The first thing that came into my head was a skunk. Okay, I got a picture of a skunk up here. If you see a skunk, most of us, now some of you guys, I know, you know, some of you go, oh yeah, let's go get them, you know, or something. But most of us, when we see a skunk, we go the other way. I see skunk, I'm going to head that direction because I, don't, I just don't want to mess around. I don't want to have to go buy tomato soup and all that kind of stuff, right? And I started thinking about other things that we get repulsed by or that I, I want to avoid that situation. I can still remember my first cockroach experience. Uh, we were renting a house in Kingwood. This is my first time ever. It was two in the morning. I was going to get my little drink of water. And when I saw that thing, I'm telling you right now, I, I'm not kidding. If I had had a 12 gauge, I'd have, I think I'd have shot up my kitchen. I'm not kidding. This Wisconsin boy seeing one of those at two in the morning, and that, it got away on me. That thing's still alive and running around. But man, I see one of these big bad boys, and I know they're not even the dirty ones, and all. I know all the language now and the lingo about these. But when I see one of those, I want to go the other way. I hate those things, okay? The big ones, the tree roaches. I don't like those tree roaches, okay? Another thing, I'm going to show you an image, another image here in just a second. Some of you are not going to like this. Some of you do this every single day. So I, I think it's fair to enter into this, okay, even those of us who are repulsed by it. Let me see this next one. Yeah. Anybody, man, when I see people touch their eyeball, I can't look at that. I cannot see people do that and watch that take place. I got to leave the room. I mean, it's just disgusting to me. But some of you literally touch your eyeball every single day. And uh, that's just amazing to me. But I'm repulsed by it. Uh, this next one's just pretty nasty. Go ahead and throw this up. Anybody ever see that? You, have you ever witnessed that? I mean, that's repulsive. That's repulsive. I mean, when that baby comes out, it's just like, and you know, you're happy. You're finally thankful that it's going to drain. But that is just a disgusting moment. And I'll, I'll walk in and see that, and I got to leave the room. You know, this last one is just uh, for some, it's repulsive. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's repulsive. It's repulsive. Oh, it's repulsive. I can't be around it. I can't be around it. I don't know where everybody's at with that one. I do know Billy and where he's at, and I do know Annette where she's at. So that was going to be, that was going to be fun. Repulsive. I can't be around it. Man, as we unpacked last week's message, these terrible evil things that humanity's doing, how's God going to respond? What's, his, what's he going to do? Is he going to leave the room? 
Is he going to walk away? I mean, it almost feels like after last week's message, which I'd encourage you to go listen to, God's going to have to respond with some kind of, you know, let's just blow this planet up again. Let's go start over or something. That's how it feels like how he would respond. And it feels like that's how I would respond. And yet, that's not what he does. What we see God do as we read through the Pentateuch, which is these first five books of the Bible, we see God not, not backing off, but we actually see him drawing near. I want to show you that, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, just, just the very opening verses. In the beginning, God created. God comes and reveals himself. He wouldn't have had to do that. But he comes and he reveals himself to us and he creates. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 3. God comes to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 4 verse 9. Isn't this interesting? God comes and speaks to Cain. He had just murdered his brother. The first murder that took place and God comes and speaks to Cain. Just has this conversation with him. That's not the most exciting conversation if you're Cain. But he comes and he draws near to Cain. Genesis chapter 6, he speaks to Noah. Genesis chapter 9, God makes a promise to all of creation. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and speaks a word of promise to him. Genesis 13, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 24, 25, 26, all have God doing something in the text. I didn't read word for word. I just scanned. And I was just looking for where God is doing something. Speaking something or, 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 or uh, promising something or commanding something. Genesis chapter 27. Go ahead. 28, 29, 30, 31. Genesis chapter 32, 35. Chapter 39. I know you can read. I'm doing this for effect. Chapter 41, chapter 45, chapter 46, chapter 48, chapter 50, which is the last chapter of Genesis. So that's just the first book. All those chapters, God is coming near to somebody or some situation. He speaks, he reveals himself, he wrestles with, he does something. He's active. Remember at the beginning of this series, I said this phrase. God's activity early on is going to reveal to us the rest of how he's typically working. So as you read through the scriptures, paying attention to God's activity and work is really key. See, you and I in our culture, we're not trained to do that. We're trained to look at me. Where am I the center of the story? But you're not the primary character in the Bible. God is. This was my argument two, two, two weeks ago when I, what I preached on. So what's God doing? 
And here we see him drawing near as a, as a primary point of his, his, his activity. Uh, not only the Genesis chapters, but Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Nearly every chapter, the majority of the chapters, have God speaking or doing or revealing or some activity of God. God is the noun and then there's some verb that he's doing in each of the chapters through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch is focused on God's verbs, the stuff he's doing. And a huge part of his activity is drawing near to his people. Not being repulsed by, not stepping back from. You do have situations where God's wrath becomes revealed. He drops the hammer in some situations. I preached some of that last week. You have that take place, yes. But time after time after time, as you open up the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible, you are going to see God drawing near. He's constantly drawing near. And it's a key part of his activity. Let's look at a very specific spot here. Genesis chapter 12. This is the story of Abraham, where God comes to him. And I want you to hear what he says in chapter 2, or verse 2. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. He's talking to Abraham and he says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's forming for himself. He's going to to form for himself even of the nations. Those for whom he will bless a people of his own possession, a people who are his own nation. Peter says it like this, 1 Peter, this is all the way kind of towards the back here, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He comes and draws near so that he might form for himself a people. Starting here with Abraham and the promise that he gives to him. Abraham, out of you, all of the nations will be blessed. How does that happen? Well, we know that that eventually happens because out of Abraham's line, Jesus will come and save the world. A people that he is close to. A people that he comes and dwells in their midst. Uh, This guy here, I read a little, little bit of him this past week, Paul Zare. He's uh, got a book called God Dwells with His People. He's actually a Mennonite theologian, but he says this on uh, page 18. He says this, 
Unlike other religions which sought after a god or gods, the Hebrew religion was solidly based on God coming to man. Abraham was called of God. And this divine election had its purpose, had as its purpose, the creating of a people of God. I love that. We don't go to God so much as God comes to us, reveals himself, speaks to, blesses, commands. Bringing grace, mercy, not allowing sin to have the final say. Could you imagine if God, listen to this, guys, follow me on this. Could you imagine if God would have allowed Adam and Eve in their free will to remain in the garden forever? Remaining alive to take from the tree of life so that they might eat and live forever in sin. What if God would have allowed that to happen? He didn't do that though. Because he knows that you on your own, even with your, there's always these conversations about free will and stuff. I, but even on your own with free will, you, you couldn't get out of the problem on your own. You're not going to be able to save yourself. God is going to have to come near. God's going to have to get up close to the hairy nastiness coming out. He's going to have to get up close to the, the, the stench of our hearts and lives. And that's what he does, is he draws near. The question is, how close does he want to get? Look at this, in Exodus there, what he says. I want you to have them make a sanctuary so that I will come and dwell in their midst. Just imagine this. When the, the Hebrew people were in the desert... They're in the desert. If you were to come up to a little kid and say, hey, where's God? That little kid would have pointed over at the tabernacle and said, he's right over there. Now that's pretty close. Could you imagine camping? And you were able to look at the one, you know, the one RV or the one little tent over there and say, God's in that one. I mean, that's pretty close. That's close, isn't it? He wants to come and be close to them. Well, how close does he want to get? See, because as we follow his work and his activity, we see him getting closer and closer and closer. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 14. The word the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you can actually translate that Greek word as tabernacled. He comes and dwells. He comes and tabernacles among us. Sets up a tent and lives there. He comes and dwells among us. We have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is this? 
John is telling us this is Jesus. There's incredible connections here, even as he's saying, I've seen his glory. This is connected back to Mount Sinai and, and back here where we see Moses seeing the glory of God and all this stuff, all these connections. But what I'm, all I'm trying to say to you is, now, not only did God come and dwell in the tent with the people around him, but now God himself comes in the, the person of Christ and you and I can ask the question like this today. How close did God get to us? Well, I googled it this morning. From Houston to Jerusalem is 7,087 miles away. And 2,000 years ago, the, 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 the claim that we proclaim is that God came 7,087 miles away. That's pretty close. That's like right there. I, I can fly there. I can be there tomorrow. God came. How close does God want to get? How close will he get? See, it's, it's not that bad if Jesus came 7,000, you know, 2,000 years ago and 7,000 miles away. But what if God wants to even get closer? What if he draws even nearer? See, God is forming for himself a people, a community that he comes and draws near to. So today we dunked Spencer and we dunked James. Usually I only go one in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, boom. But this morning I did three just good ones. That was awesome. Sorry, Spence, I know you were trying to just breathe for a second there. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Um, how close does God want to get? Paul says to us, if we've been baptized into Christ, we've clothed ourselves with Christ. We put him on. Spirit of God comes into our hearts, into our lives. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 16, he says this. He says this idea where he's talking to the disciples. He says, I need to go. I'm going to go away, which is like, why? Where are you? Okay, because you really see how bad we are. You want to keep a little bit of distance with us. No, that's not what he says. He says, I'm going to go away so that I, it's actually going to help you and help be a better thing for you. I'm going to even get closer to you by sending you the Spirit. So Jesus sends the Spirit now, where? Into our hearts and lives. And so now as we, but listen, he doesn't just come to us as an individual because as you read through the Pentateuch, you see him constantly working with the people of God. See, you're so conditioned to think individualistically. But, and, and there is some individualism with Christianity. I'm not saying that. He who confesses with his mouth, Jesus is Lord. I get that. But more times than that, God is in the, his word talking to us about forming us as a family, as the body of Christ. Individually members of it, yes, but a singular body where his spirit comes. So it's as we gather together 
around his, around something like communion. Next week, we're going to get to receive communion together. And as we receive him, not just individually, but communing together, we join together and come up to receive. We're being formed with God in our midst, not getting away from our sin and messed upness. See, our world thinks that the church thinks, oh, we're so great and mighty. No, we're not. We started our service today with, we're the suckiest ones of all. But we, what we do do different, do do different, is we allow ourselves to have God in our midst, drawing near to us, transforming us, shaping us, letting him be the king talking to us and telling us how we should be operating as a, as a people. Creating himself a new people where he is in our midst. This is how the Bible ends, folks. Revelation 21 and 22 ends with God coming to dwell with people forever. It's why we named our church the dwelling it is not the dwelling as a noun, as a place necessarily. The focus is the verb that God would want to come and draw near and dwell with us is an amazing thing. That he would come and dwell with us. Go to the cross that God would do that. To take your sin, to take the stuff, the hairy, nasty, who knows what's all attached to that, to take that stuff out of the sink of your heart and put it on himself so that you might be clean and washed and forgiven, that you might be made righteous. Not because of your greatness, not because you're so special, not because you always go to church, not because you're so... No, because of what he has done for you. Forming himself a people. Even forming himself a people out of the nations. I'm going to tap back into the, the promise to Abraham. See, I'm of the nations. I'm a Gentile. I'm not of Jewish origin. So I've been grafted into God's family through adoption. Many of you are in that same boat as Gentiles, non-Jewish people. We have been brought into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We see God drawing near in baptism, putting himself on Spence and James we come together to allow the word to be preached to us. Not just individualistically. See, this whole thing, man, so many churches are so big on like your, your private time with God each day, your personal time, your personal time, your personal That's fine. Those are great things. Personal time is important. I'm in God's word every day by myself. That's not bad. But that's actually, in the history of the church, a newer concept. A more kind of two, past 2,000 years concept is community, plural, looking at all the plurals that we as a people of God coming together, doing life together, 
singing out songs where we are songs of remembrance, reminding each other of his work and activity. God's word forming us as a community, studying it together in our small groups, letting our individual reading of God's word, so like this morning, eating breakfast, eating my bagel, I'm in John chapter three by myself, but I wanna be interpreting that word in the context now of the body helping me get shaped together. So I don't disconnect my even personal time with God this morning as I'm eating breakfast. I'm not taking that away from the being part of the body. Praying together. This is when we end our prayer, we, we're saying, you know how you say amen? What does amen mean? Finally the prayer's done? No, amen is I agree with. I've been praying with you. I join in that prayer. I want that too. You see that? You see how it's up? It's the, the family of God being formed by him who's in our midst, who's drawing near to us. That's a cool thing. And what you're going to see as you open up the Pentateuch is you'll see God drawing near to his people, forming a people for himself. And what you see today in the church of God is God forming himself a people with him in our midst. God being in our midst should cause us to think three things. This is how I want to end. We should be afraid. Could you imagine if you really believed God is here today, right now here, and he is? What would that do? There should be a kind of fear that boils up in us. Oh, baby. I think there should be an awe that gets stirred up in us. And just an amazing aweness to it. That he would allow us to be part of this. And I think there should be an incredible gratefulness that gets stirred up in us. Grateful that he would allow us to be part of something like this. I'm not alone. Part of God's family. Together with y'all. You might be like, yeah, but we're just a bunch of sinners. You know, the church, yeah, me too. All of us together, a bunch of sinners gathered around God, letting him shape us. Individually, yeah, but even more so as a community, enjoying each other, doing life with each other. This is where it bleeds out. This is where it bleeds out to the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, caring for each other's needs, praying for each other, walking with each other. You, you, your need is over here. How can I come and help meet that need? Playing board games together and enjoying and laughing together, uh, doing life together. Wow, wow. God in our midst, forming himself a people who are forgiven, 
who are loved, those who are having the, the hairy nastiness getting taken out of those and getting put on him. Thank you for that, Lord. Let's pray. I got to close this up here. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word that you draw near to us. Thank you that you're not repulsed by us and pull away. Even though there's so much to be repulsed by. There's so much in our lives that are so sick and nasty looking. Thank you that you invite everybody to be part of your family. Thank you that you get so close to us that you'd actually come into our hearts and lives through the power of your spirit. I'm amazed by that, Lord. It's almost a little freaky. But I am thankful. And I thank you for that. Lord, with you in our midst, we want to continue to open ourselves up to you shaping us and molding us. Continue to do what you do best, Lord. Continue to do what only you can do. We lean on your strength in Jesus' name. Amen.